I'll tell you, it's, it's a great day today. We're so glad to have you. If you're visiting with us, I want you to know you are a special guest. We have a special guest on live stream that's visiting with us. We have special guests in the, uh, uh, in, in the Fellowship Center. Guys, glad to have you all. We have guests there. We have guests in this assembly. And so a variety of ways that people are tuning in and being a part of our church. So we're going to have Ethne uh, uh, Tonja to come up and read our scripture for us. And uh, I thank you for being willing to do this, okay? Every day they meet in the temple courtyard. They ate meals together in their homes. Their hearts were glad and sincere. They prayed to God. They were respected by all people. And every day the Lord added to their group of those who were being saved. Amen. Thank you so much. You know, Paul told the young man named Timothy to keep the public reading of the Word going on. And so that's one of the efforts we're making here among our young people as well as those who want to be in the book. Well, we've started this adventure in the book of Acts. And Acts is about really, uh, uh, it's not as much as just history of the church, although that's what it's been approached a lot of times. I, I like to think of it as the action and adventure of the church. Because when you look at all the things that are happening in the book of Acts and how God brings about great changes in people's lives uh, to form this forever family that we're part of, uh, there's some really neat and exciting things. There's some tough things in this book, too, because our brothers and sisters face some really hard times. And it's, it's always encouraging to look and know that people made it through something difficult that gives us hope as we travel through difficult times. Uh, our country's going through some difficult times, right? And what's, what's really kind of interesting to me, when I read this book, especially this chapter, how that the results of what's happening early in the chapter, the results end up being a group of people who have all things in common and are worshiping together, and they're devoted together, and they have unity, and they have peace, and they take care of one another. And I'm like, aren't those the things people out in the world are looking for? But where are they looking for them? They're not. They're looking for them in another place. They're looking for it in government. They're looking for it in in elections. They're looking for it's not there. It's going to be within the family of God that you find these kinds of things that exist. And only as men follow the character of God and what he's laid out, that's what blesses people, churches, and nations. And we need to call our people back to that. I'm a firm believer in preaching. Uh, and uh, it's a great text to be a firm believer in that because you get the first gospel sermon right here, you know. And so, uh, uh, I, and I think there's a need to preach not only to the church, but to our community and to the culture around us in such a way that people will acknowledge God once again. Now, if you remember, out of Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells the disciples that they don't need to be worried about what time he's going to come again. Look here in verse uh, 7. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. It's not for them to know. It's not for you to know. Quit worrying about it. Basically, he says, that's none of your business. Now he's going to tell them in the next verse, what is your business? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. 
And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he tells them, look, this commission I give you, I'm going to equip you to do. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit, like he promised them earlier, remember? In John, where he tells them, I'm going to send you the Spirit of truth, and you're going to know all things. You're going to be able to do the work that God has laid out for you to do. And so, now all of a sudden, they go and they wait And this promise comes to them. In Acts chapter 2, this day of Pentecost, several things happen. We're going to see as the church is is set on fire, is ignited for the future journey and adventure, that it's done by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, it's done by the preaching of the gospel, and it's done by the reaction of the people. Now, let's just kind of walk through this story a little bit. Chapter 2, Acts. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages or tongues as the Spirit enabled them to. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. <coughs> Excuse me. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native tongue? And in the next couple of verses, he gives you 15 different nations that are represented that he speaks to. Now, I'm studying this and I'm pulling out commentaries and I'm reading different kinds of things. And this is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost. These apostles receive what God promised them. So all of a sudden they realize this is it by what's happening. And they understand all of a sudden now, now they get, are get, fixing to get ready to go on their uh, mission in life here. Now, this is interesting that they speak, by the way, they speak in different languages. This is not the same as what some people describe as in, in particular religious groups as tongue speaking and those kinds of things. This is languages that these people understood and heard them in their own language. So I'm reading some commentaries. I've got to share this with you. This is the commentary called the Christ-Centered Exposition, Exalting Jesus in Acts, and it's a... Uh, uh, put together by two or three different guys and so i like it and i'm sitting here reading this and by the way the galileans had a big thick accent a little difficult to understand you know they weren't real sophisticated guys and uh remember earlier remember the woman said to peter i can you're a galilean i recognize that voice right yeah i know well here's what the here's what this commentary said the galilean disciples had not been trained in foreign languages They weren't known for having sophisticated uh, educations. Imagine, now this is a quote from this commentary. Imagine Uncle Si from Duck Dynasty. (laughs) Uncle Si made the commentary. (laughs) Uncle Si from Duck Dynasty standing up in front of a group of ambassadors from around the world, including China, and offering them the gospel in perfect Mandarin. That would leave people astonished. Uh, it, well, it leaves me astonished just in English. 
Uh, yet that is just the sort of thing that happened at Pentecost. I could help. I thought, you know, Al, wherever you are, you got to make a copy of this, send it to Sai. He made the commentary. He's got one up on you now, Phil. He's made the commentary. <laughs> but you think about it. Here you are, gathered up for your feast and your celebration, now this Pentecost feast. And all of a sudden you hear all this happening. And it's the apostles. And they're speaking different languages and you hear them declaring the wonders of God in that language. That gets everybody's attention. By the way, that's not the gospel being preached. This is not something he tells the apostles to go do. They're not to go be baptized. It's not a command to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is the promise that they receive as apostles in Acts 2 that kicks off the birth of the church by the preaching of the gospel. Now, there's first the, the description of what happens. <clears throat> and then there's the explanation. Peter stood up in verse 14 with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as some of you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So Peter now all of a sudden can quote the scriptures and point them back to the Bible. By the way, not only is he pointing them back to the Bible, he, as he speaks, he's, really, he's writing the Bible because the words of Peter and this lesson get left for us by the Holy Spirit in the Bible, right? So the scriptures come from these apostles, New Testament writers, and they are known as the sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes these verses come alive. So Peter points to the Bible for his lesson. And he says this, In the last days, God says. Now, don't forget the verse before. He says, This is that which was spoken. In other words, he said, You know what Joel spoke of? About the last days? We're in it. This is it. The last days are from the time of Christ till the time that Christ comes again. We are all living in the last days, in that time period of Christianity. The time that the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes out is poured out for all men, and Jesus comes again for us. That section of time in history is the last days. By the way, he just told him in chapter 4, don't worry about when it's going to end, the date and the time. That ain't none of your business. God's got that taken care of. You get about being witnesses. Why was that to keep reminding people that everybody wants to predict something somewhere? So he quotes Joel and he tells them this is what was happening. What you're seeing now, the pouring out of the Spirit, being, being available, by the way, to everyone. Old men, young men, women. There's no gender difference here. Age difference. Everybody is going to have this opportunity to call on the Lord. And receive the Holy Spirit. So he takes them to Joel. And then in, in verse 22, he's going to go and preach the good news of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is always about shining a floodlight on Christ. That's what he does. He doesn't shine a floodlight on himself. 
He shines a floodlight on Christ. And so the sermon to the people to change their hearts is the story of Jesus. It's the story of the Christ. The story is not about what happened to them with them speaking languages or hearing or seeing the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. That's not an experience that he says you need to go reproduce. It's not about that. It's not about their personal experience. It's about the kickoff of the kingdom of God and the church of God because of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's about the gospel being empowered and preached to every nation. Basically, you have what's happening here. Remember the story of Babel? We got the story of Babel in reverse. Remember the pride of man trying to build a tower so he can see and rule all over the earth and God stops it on and he confuses their languages? Now God brings the Holy Spirit, pours him out, and people can hear in their own language and the gospel is going to go out to the whole world. Matter of fact, Revelation is going to tell us that the goal is reached when he says, that paints a picture there, that people are around the throne of God with every tongue, every language, and every nation praising God. For the King of Kings. Acts 2 is a picture of the end when the gospel's been preached and every nation is praising God around the throne. He's showing us ahead of time this is what you ought to be going for. Now, there are times when well, I'll say it this way. Heaven touches earth. Or maybe even heaven overlaps earth would be a better way. <clears throat> At the very beginning, in the beginning, when God, the Godhead, God the Spirit, God the Son, right? The Word, the Father, said, let us create man in our own image. And God dwelt with man in the garden. Heaven touched earth. And then when Jesus came, that great incarnation, that marvelous Christmas, and the angels sang, and heaven touched earth. And now the Holy Spirit, being poured out as was promised by God and Christ, the Holy Spirit is poured out for mankind to dwell in us, his people, in heaven touches earth you see as the temple of god which is what god calls us the church and us individually that's where the holy spirit the presence of the holy spirit dwells now every jew in this audience understood that the presence of god dwelt in the temple they've been taught that all their life and now all of a sudden to realize the presence of god and dwells me. God's presence is here on earth through the Holy Spirit in His church. You think you're not equipped to go do what God's called you to do? Well, let's get a little bit more into this uh, into this sermon that's preached. Verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. God's plan here. The gospel is God's plan. It's not an afterthought. It's a plan. 
And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God uh, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it's impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then he quotes David, uh, another section of scripture that Peter goes to his Bible, to prove that this is talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Now he says over here in verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Verse 36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Because God planned it does not let man off the hook with his choices. Look, this always gets confusing to people. The sovereignty of God and the free will of man. And the problem is we think we can solve it and explain it. If we could explain it, we'd be God. We can't. But we can't take what God's Word says about it. God planned something and did not violate my free choice or their free choice and still holds them responsible for their wickedness. And they're the Romans' wickedness for crucifying the Christ. Can you imagine if you had been one that had protested on the day of crucifixion? That you'd walked up that hill and you'd hollered those ugly things. <clears throat> you'd seen him die. And now you're a part of a crowd and you hear this story from Peter. And it all of a sudden touches your heart to realize what you've done. The Bible says they were pricked in the heart. They were moved when they heard this story of Jesus. And they said, What should we do? Now this is interesting. Because we've already got through the prophet Joel, at the end of that, that that people who call on the name of the Lord are saved. Calling on the name of the Lord always involves men making a decision. Now that decision, no, does not mean they deserve to be saved. Their decision is about faith and trust in what God has done, is doing, and will do. And their decision is trusting God to to follow his word. And he tells them, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the big misunderstanding about baptism. People always want to say, well, Mike, if you believe in baptism, then you believe that there's something you have to do to be saved. Well, everybody believes you have to do something. If you tell somebody they've got to say a sinner's prayer, aren't you telling them they have to do something? If you say uh, uh, they have to call on the name of the Lord, aren't they doing something? It's not about about, uh, earning. It is about effort. You have to make a decision to follow God. Now look, we're saved by grace. 
We're not saved because I chose baptism. I'm not saved because I choose to do things that I think are holy. We'll never earn salvation. You cannot earn it. We're only saved by grace. Being baptized is an experience of grace. Being baptized into Christ is where, uh, is, is where the old man dies and I plead to God by his grace. It's submission to God's grace. It is not nullifying God's grace. And anybody that says, I believe otherwise, don't know what I believe. I love it when people tell you what you believe. Don't you love it? I had a guy tell me one time, well, Mike, I know what you believe. Oh, really? How about if I tell you that? And he was like, oh, no, that's not what you believe. I'm like, wait a minute. I know what I believe. Baptism, that reenacting the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the simplest thing. That I'm submitting, I'm answering the call of God. Because I've heard the story of the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ, and the sending of His Holy Spirit. And I need it so desperately. I studied with a guy one time over in Texas. He said, Mike, I got a thought. He said, my life's messed up. I'm trying to live right. And I said, well, what's the problem? He said, I, he said, I want to be baptized. And I'm, I didn't know if he had or had. And I said, okay. I said, well, why do you want to be baptized? He said, I've tried to live right, but I can't do it because I don't have the Holy Spirit. I'd never had anybody tell me that before. And he said, and then I was reading in the Bible that this is, this is what happens. And he said, I, I need the Holy Spirit in my life. I said, yes, brother, you do, and I do too. So the Holy Spirit indwells us and helps us in our journey. And we are the temple of God. The presence of God is in your life. It's not about feeling it. It's not an emotion. It's about knowing it because the Word of God says so. You and I must learn to trust the Scripture more than we trust our emotions. So Peter goes on to tell him this promise is for you and it's for your children and it's for all who are far off. Remember, this is going to the whole world. For all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded them. So we don't have Peter's whole sermon here. I mean, you can read through his sermon in like, you know, the whole chapter in like three minutes. Someone says, Mike, that sounds like a good amount of time for a sermon. To me, you ought to try that. Well, I understand. But many other words he pleaded with them. Look what he pleads with them to do. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Is there a more practical application of this scripture than today? Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Look around our world. Look around our culture. Men and women need to save themselves from this corrupt generation by listening to and understanding who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for them. You won't out of the mess of our culture save yourself from this corrupt generation. Save it. 
by obeying the gospel, by believing in Jesus Christ, making him the Lord of your life. That's what we need in our country more than we need anything else. We need men who will come to Christ. Get yourself out of that terrible, terrible, corrupt generation. And we got one. But now look, let's be fair. It's not any more corrupt than the generation the church was born out of. Go back and look at the history of the Roman Empire. Look at what was going on in the days of the church. Our generation isn't really any more corrupt than they were. And yet God birthed the church in the middle of it and took the gospel to the whole world. You know what that makes me? That makes me excited to see what he's going to do with the church in our nation and in our world today. Because God's got something planned. And he's sovereign, right? And we have choices to make. We follow him. And then we look with excitement as he ignites the church. He sets it on fire. The Holy Spirit and the message of Jesus for men and women who are commissioned to go empowered to go and equipped to go into all the world with the simple message of Jesus Christ. Well, what happened to these folks? Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to breaking a bread, to fellowship, to prayer. All these things. Now, this, this group of people that have, that have been baptized into Christ, they are the forever family. And this church family are devoted. They're devoted. And so they're diving into these scriptures of the apostles' teaching. They're diving in to fellowship with each other and, and, and in prayer. And so everyone is filled with awe because they see all the many wonders and miraculous signs that are done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. (coughs) Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added their number daily, those who were being saved. 3,000 dripping wet people that day become family, forever family. And they're devoted and they're united. Now, this is interesting because I had someone say, Mike, does that mean, is that, does that promote socialism? You know, everybody's selling everything and take care of each other? No, what that promotes is church people taking care of the responsibilities of each other. They're not asking the government to take care of them. This is not about socialism. And it's also, by the way, not a formula for benevolence in the community. While we always should have, have, have benevolence toward poor people and the homeless and all the, that the church should be about taking care of people that can't take care of themselves. But it's not about that. This is about taking care of people who have just named the name of Jesus. And as a result, they've lost some stuff and some of them can't even eat. And so now the other brothers that are, have this same devotion as Christians say, hey, we're going to take care of each other. We're on this journey together because we got something to do greater than this. That's to get the good news out to people. Which, by the way, the next chapter, I'll preach on it. Next Sunday, uh, I won't step on it too much. But the very next chapter, there's a poor guy in poverty asked for help. And was you know what he tells him? The preacher tells him, I don't have anything to give you. I don't have any silver or gold. That's not, that's not what we're about. But I'll tell you what. Well, you can learn that story next Sunday. 
Don't peek. So this forever family, they are converted. They are commissioned. They are equipped. They are ignited for the journey and the adventure ahead. They get to be a part of that group that started it all. And the gospel goes out and changes men's lives. Look, your goal in Christianity is not to have a great spiritual experience. That's why you come to church. You missed it. Our mission in Christianity is to take the good news that changed our lives and preach it and share it so that it changes the lives of other people. It's about people who understand the simplicity of being converted, moved in our hearts by the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Have you ever seen someone's life totally turned around and changed because of Jesus? It's amazing. I love testimonies for that very reason. By the way, one of the biggest testimonies in Acts 2 is right before their eyes. Peter, who preaches this sermon, wait a minute, a few weeks ago, you're around a fire denying who Jesus is. Just in case you're thinking that all the mess is in your life, God can't take your life and turn around and turn around and use you to do amazing things. Look what he did with Peter. Peter didn't get caught up in his past guilt and past problems and and past blaming everything. Peter didn't do that. He let God work on him. Remember, he denies him three times, and then Jesus asked him three times, Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. In Acts 2, the feed starts. He preaches the good news that changes people's lives. Lives are changed when the story of Jesus is told by people who love the fact that God changed their life. Grace. By grace, I I am redeemed. By grace, I am restored. I want you to listen to this testimony of someone's life who, by grace, they have been redeemed and restored. Guys? I am a sinner saved by grace. In the past, I've struggled with methamphetamine, codependency, and men, and today I struggle with finding balance. My name is Megan. I was born into a family line of generational curses, several of them. Poverty, addiction, mental illness, among other things. I had a good mother. She told me she loved me. I was well taken care of. Um, I had been abandoned by two fathers by the age of 14, uh, not to mention my biological father, who I didn't know existed at that time. I graduated from the Louisiana School for Math, Science, and the Arts when I was 18. Got a full-ride scholarship to Northwestern State University, double majored, uh, overachieving, being the one who would not follow in the family line. Uh, It started to erode into a lot of self-destructive behaviors. I met my now ex-husband while I was in college. I 
cheated a lot, a lot. Uh, had my daughter two years after my son, and my husband and I split shortly after that. Uh, I felt something inside of me sort of dying. I was unhappy, but I existed. I began prostituting uh, in order to make ends meet. So I kept quitting job after job, and that led to a day that forever changed my life, which was October 23rd of 2017. I went to a hotel to meet just another man, just another day, and I left that day with methamphetamine in my system for the first time, and I was hooked instantly. And within six months, I had lost my home, my two cars, my children, $20,000 and about 120 pounds in just six months and found myself for the first time homeless. Uh, by the spring of 2019, I had crossed the line that I said I would never cross, and I had become who I said I never would become, a needle junkie. And I was lost. I was broken. I wanted to die. I had no desire to live, not even for my children. I just wanted the pain that I had caused my life to become to be over um, but then quite fittingly on a Sunday and it was April 7th 2019 I call it my rescue day I found myself on the side of a residential street in the garden district in the rain with a suitcase a backpack and a laundry basket that was all that I had left to my name and I thought of one person uh, the one person who I hadn't burned a bridge with I still don't know to this day how I was able to call her. I, of course, no money, no cell service. And I was not, from what I could tell, connected to any Wi-Fi. I had no Wi-Fi connection, but somehow this phone call went through. And she picked me up. And she just asked me, are you done yet? And, of course, I said yes. I wasn't going to say no. She called her son-in-law, Julian Sims, who told her, if she's really done and she's serious, then you need to call a man named Chad Johnson. He runs a place called Transformations, and it's just the best. But she does not need to go there if she's not really done. I knew very little at the time about whatever this Transformations program was, but I didn't care. I would do anything. Yeah, and Chad told me he would take me in if I could pass a drug screen. Well, I failed the drug screen with flying colors. And he said, you do 30 days, and I'll take you right in. I completed another 30 days, and I went to this transformations place that I knew relatively little about. And that is where I found Jesus. When I think about transformations, and I think about my family there, and it's a family, you know, uh, it's a family, and I never had a family that I knew no matter what, whether I did well, whether I struggled, they're going to be there and they're still going to love me. I think about all of the sacrifices that Chad, Debbie, and Amy, and everyone involved, everyone. I mean, there's so many people involved behind the scenes that keep that place going and give women like me, mothers who had abandoned their children, it helps give us our life back. And not only does it give us a safe place to go, to learn to grow, they teach us the one way to maintain that. And that is through Jesus Christ. The very first testimony I ever heard in my life was Paul. 
the first Wednesday after I went to Transformations, I got to hear a testimony from an elder at a church who was so personal and so raw and had a story that had parts in it that were similar to mine. And it was then that those walls that I had built from childhood started to break down the world. The number one thing that I wake up every morning and do is I get on my knees and I thank my Savior. Because without Him, I wouldn't have a job. I wouldn't have these authentic relationships. I wouldn't have a home. I wouldn't have restored relationships with my children, my mother. She and I's relationship is better than it ever has been. I never thought that I would be a member, had the privilege of being a member of a church that encourages and allows those of us who have struggled to serve and to give back. David Bromley asked me this past summer if I would be willing, interested to help with live stream. I knew nothing about cameras. I knew nothing about the process behind the back, behind the scenes. But I said, yes, absolutely. I was so interested in giving back somehow, even if I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I spent a couple of weeks in training, and I love and I enjoy. It is a privilege and a blessing to everyone at this church. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. You have forever changed my life. Thank you so much for teaching me about and showing me an example of the love of Jesus. I will forever be grateful. Megan, uh, assuming you're working live stream, so you couldn't get away from seeing all of us. Uh, we are so honored by your life and your love for God and the power of the gospel in action is what you see in Megan's story. You know, sometimes we read the Bible and it's just like we're reading about something that happened a long time ago. It's, how does it really mean something to me? Well, this same message that kicked off the church, that ignited them for their journey and their adventure, is the same message that changed Megan's life. And it's the same message that continues to change lives as a church, as we share the good news of Jesus with everybody we can. The good news is today you can change your life. By grace, you can be redeemed. You can respond and put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You can be baptized into Christ. You can have a moment that the Holy Spirit indwells you and ignites you to go out on a mission and a new purpose in life, to be born again with the water and the Spirit, and to serve God. And to give him glory and honor. So we're going to have an invitation. This is the time that we do that. We, we pray with you. We, uh, 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 we're all in this together, right? Nobody responds alone. We're not, uh, we all have problems, but we all help each other walk like that new forever family did in, at, at the end of Acts. We join together to help each other 
on this journey that God has us on. So if you have a need, you can come while we stand and while we sing.